If you have your Bibles, you can turn in them to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Um, if you don't have your Bible, um, you can look in the bulletin on the inside back cover and see the scripture we're going to be looking at. There's also a place there to take notes. We're going to be looking at 2 Timothy 1 verse 4. But uh, we're going to start the reading in verse 2, just to catch a little bit of the context. So this is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Friends, listen, this is God's word. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. This is God's Word. So we've been talking about embracing your mission. Right? God has given every single one of us a mission. Our lives are to reflect and to be consumed by that mission. And our mission has lots of different... Um, Lots of different ways to think about it, but one of the aspects that all of us share in this mission is that God has called all of us to do our part in making disciples, okay? In helping other people to know Jesus and to follow him, okay? God has given all of us that mission, the Great Commission. Jesus says, go into the world and make disciples, right? Go into all the nations and make disciples, and so all of us have been tasked with that mission, we all, um, we all are called to do our part to help other people know Jesus and to follow him, okay? And, uh, and it's interesting, this idea of making disciples, there's also kind of a non-religious way to think about this. Um, the non-religious way to think about it is that your mission is to bless the people around you, right? To make the people around you better, you know, to show Jesus to others. Um, we all want to leave a legacy, um, so many of our accomplishments will be forgotten, but people will last. The relationships that we have will last. And so we want to embrace this mission. And we saw last week that the mission begins with prayer, right? We talked about prayer last week. It's praying for other people. Well, today we're going to see that you show up for your mission. You show up for the mission with your presence, okay? With your presence, so before you engage in mission, or maybe the, the initial step is praying for the people that you want to encourage, the people that you want to, uh, to, um, uh, to help know and follow Jesus, well, you actually show up for your mission with your presence, okay? It's with your presence. The core of discipleship is spending time together, okay? The core of discipleship is you being present with others, Okay, it's spending time. And this verse, this verse, verse 4, gives us a window into the relationship that Paul and Timothy had. Right? We see the depth of their friendship. We see the powerful impact of the time that they spent together. And we're going to look at this verse in, in three ways. Okay? The first thing that we're going to see, if you want to take notes, is that sadness shows how good it is. Okay? Sadness shows how good it is. Because what does Paul say? He says, as I remember your tears. As Paul's writing this letter, 
Paul remembers Timothy's tears. He prays for him, and as he's praying for him, he remembers his tears. And I think what Paul is doing here is he's remembering their last goodbye. He's remembering the time that they had been together. They had been with each other for years. If you read the book of Acts, Timothy shows up in Acts 16, and Paul says, I really want this guy with me. I want him. I want to adopt him. I want to be his, I want to be his mentor. I want to disciple him to make him um, a pastor. And they had been in each other's presence for years. They spent 18 months together in Corinth. Um, they spent three years ministering together in Ephesus as they were pastoring the church there. And then Tim was with the elders at Ephesus when Paul left. Okay? And Paul is saying in this verse, I remember the tears you shed when we said goodbye. Okay, let me just show you what that looked like. In Acts chapter 20, um, Paul gathered the elders from Ephesus, and Timothy was with them. And he wanted to sort of give them his final farewell. And this is part of what he said. He said to the elders, he said, Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I didn't cease day or night to admonish every one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. And then in verse 36, it says, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to his ship. So I think these are the tears Paul is remembering. And why were they sad? Well, this verse tells us they were sad because Paul was leaving and they weren't going to see him again. Well, why, would, why did that make them sad? Well, it's because they loved being with Paul. They loved being with him. They loved his presence with them. They loved his influence. And so their sadness, their tears, show how good Paul's presence was. Are you with me? Right? The reason we're sad is because it is sad for someone who is so good for you to leave. And I think this pushes us to ask the question, who would you be sad to lose? Right? Whether you'd shed tears or not, some of you are criers and some of you aren't. And that's okay if you're not. Right? But the question is, who in your life right now would you be sad to lose? Those people that you'd be sad to lose, it's because your relationship with them means something. I think Paul's missionary journeys were a lot like being deployed. I mean, think about it. Paul was sent out by churches, and he was in constant danger. Communication was sporadic. It was even worse, I think, for Paul than it is, from what I understand, with a lot of folks that get deployed. They had no phones. They had no email. They had no internet access. They couldn't connect that way. Um, communication could take months to get back and forth, because you literally had to get someone to write a letter if you're in jail, and then you had to get them to go deliver it, right? And if Timothy is, let's say Timothy is in Oceanside, Right? You have to get somebody to walk that letter to Oceanside. Right? That's not an easy thing to do. And yet Paul knew Timothy needed him. Paul knew that his presence made Timothy feel strong. 
right? Paul shared truth with Timothy. Paul reminded Timothy of God's presence in his life. These are the things that made Timothy so sad to lose him. Is because Paul made such a big difference in his life. Paul helped Timothy think through his work together. We're going to see more of that actually as this letter unfolds. Timothy was bolder, stronger, a better person, a better Christian when he when Paul was around. Right? Do you have anybody like that in your life? Who when they're around, more of the best of you comes out. The sadness that Timothy shared, um, it shows that this was a real relationship. Right? They're real conversations, real issues that were dealt with. And I think, I mean, this applies to us in the area of our spiritual friendships. Right? All of us need this. All of us need people like this in our lives. God wants us to grow so that we can be this kind of presence in other people's lives. Right? So not only we say, who would you be sad to lose, but is there anybody that would be sad to lose you? And so I think this applies to the realm of spiritual friendships at home, in the church, in our communities. But I think this also applies to the workplace. This week I had the honor of attending the swearing out ceremony of Bill McCurran. Um, Bill's one of our elders, and uh, he's a magistrate judge, and he retired from the bench. And throughout the ceremony and the evening, um, people celebrated Bill's service to the court. But there were a lot of tears. And people wept. People wept because they were going to miss Bill in the workplace. One of the other judges spoke on behalf of everyone during the ceremony, and she said that they were going to miss Bill's wit, his wisdom, and his kindness. And they shed tears. They shed tears. Bill is bringing his faith to his work in how he treats others and in the excellence of the work that he does. And the tears that were shed showed how good his presence was, right? The sadness shows how good it is. I think some of you know the sadness of losing a friend like this. You've had a friend like this, you've lost them. Maybe they've moved away, right? We live in San Diego where people live for two years and then leave, right? This is the promised land, except it feels sometimes like you can't afford to live here in the promised land, right? Family draws people away. People come here temporarily. So you know this sadness if you've been around um, for any length of time. And so some of us know this sadness. And then, you know, there's others of you that I think feel sad because maybe you've never had a relationship like this. As you look at this relationship between Paul and Timothy, as your mind begins to understand and then picture these kinds of friendships, you feel like, you know what, I've never had that. I've never been close enough to someone where I feel like I would cry because I'm going to miss their spiritual influence in my life. If you haven't had this kind of relationship, then you are missing out. Like you're missing out on one of God's biggest gifts to his people, and that's the gift of fellowship. That's what the Bible calls it. It's the word fellowship. 
Um, and that's just, it's being in a relationship with someone focused on your spiritual growth. Right? That's what fellowship is. Now, and the good news is that if you're sad about never having this, you can pursue it. Okay, you can get this. You can get this, and, and this is our second point. Okay? Sadness shows how good it is, but secondly, longing gets you ready. Okay? Longing gets you ready uh, to have this kind of relationship. The next thing Paul says in verse 4 is he says, so he says, as I remember your tears, I long to see you. I long to see you. So Paul's desire, Paul's deep desire was to see Timothy again. He wanted to be with him again. Uh, we'll see this uh, down in the future, but in chapter 4, verse 9, Paul says, do your best to come to me soon. And then again, it says, in verse 21, do your best to come to me before winter. Paul's got a very strong desire. He wants to see Timothy. He wants to be with him. Remembering how good it was to be together in the past, Paul longs to be united to him again. And so really, this is one of the keys, no matter where you are in the discipleship process, whether you're a Paul or a Timothy, whether you're a Paul with a Timothy or a Timothy with a Paul, or you don't have a relationship like this, one of the keys to moving and deepening and embracing your mission is to want to be with other people. Okay, that is, that is a key component that will actually help change your heart. It will help you grow into relationships like what Paul and Timothy shared. Okay, you need to, you need to want to be with other people. Paul longed to be with Timothy. And this pushes us to ask us, like, do you want, do you even want this? Because you can complain you don't have it, but if you don't really want it, then nothing's going to happen. Now, please understand, this doesn't mean that you have to want to be with all people. Okay? So many of you are introverts, right? The idea even of coming to church can freak you out sometimes. There's a lot of people in this room. Um, and you need it to kind of break down into one person, right? Um, so when we talk about longing, you don't have to long to want to be with everybody. You don't have to change who you are, right? But you need to long to be with others. One, two, maybe three, right? You still long to be with people so that you can have this kind of attitude with the few that you are discipling, the few that you want to, uh, to pour into, the few that are pouring into you. And longing, this idea of longing, this is an attitude, right? It's an attitude. So it's a little bit like, like the praying from last week, right? Remember when I said praying is a great way to start because you can't screw that up, right? Because even if you pray the wrong thing, the Holy Spirit will intercede for you and, and, and fix your prayers so by the time it gets to God, it's a good thing. Um, well, this is the same thing that you can, like your attitude is something that you can control, Right? Your attitude is something you can make decisions about. You can choose to long for others, or you can want to, lo- you can want, to want to be with others. Right? And if you want to want to be with others so that you can have this kind of, um, this part of your mission, then God will answer that prayer. and He'll build it into you. And so you show up for the mission with your presence. Right? It's being with other people. But before you show up, you can have the attitude of wanting to be present in your relationships. 
Paul wanted more time with Timothy, longed to spend time with him, and longing to spend time with others. That's what prepares you to disciple others. It's been said that the biggest commodity that we have is not our money, um, but it's our time. So when you think about the time that you have, how do you spend your time? How are you investing your time? What are you doing with it? When I look back on my own life, I think about how much time I spend in entertainment, um, how much time we spend working, and those aren't necessarily bad things, right? Those are good things when done in moderation, right? And entertainment more so, you know, the moderation obviously smaller than working. But the question I want us to ask, I want you to think about is, how much time do you spend embracing this part of your mission? Think about over the course of a week, how much time do you spend embracing this part of your mission uh, to disciple others? I mean, actually, I think entertainment and working, that's another part of our mission, right? God wants us to spend time resting and being entertained, right? That's actually part of us celebrating the fact that we are saved in Christ, that our salvation has been complete, that there's no work left to do to be saved. When we are entertained, we get to sort of rehearse that, right? Even God worked six days and then rested the seventh and gave us that uh, as a pattern for us, um, and so entertainment and working are actually part of the mission. So I'm not telling you to be a killjoy. I'm not telling you that you can't watch TV. I'm not telling you that you can't do things that you enjoy doing, right? I'm just asking the question, how much time are you able to spend embracing your mission to be present with others, to invest in fellowship, in, in relationships that are intentionally aimed at spiritual growth? So there are three women in our church, um, Kim, Michelle, and Marnie, um, and they are all incredibly busy women, got very successful careers, um, they're single, and they have formed a food co-op where they cook meals for each other each week, okay? I was talking to Kim about this this week because the Union Tribune caught wind of this and interviewed them. And so they interviewed them for a story that they wanna put in the paper in the next couple of weeks. And uh, it was interesting talking to Kim about this because um, what she said was that it started out all about food, okay? Um, she'd never take the time to cook for herself, but she would take the time to cook for her friends, the people she cared about. And then she said, this isn't about food anymore. She said, it's not about food anymore. She said, we get together Sunday nights and the time that we spend together, talking, encouraging, sharing, has become the best way for me to start the week. And as her longing for this time, for them to be together has grown, the blessing of that time has grown. And so discipleship is investing your time with other people. It's investing your time with other people. Um, without this, even the good things that we do for entertainment aren't going to satisfy. Even the accomplishments at work that we have won't satisfy. Um, they won't have lasting meaning to us. Um, some years ago, there was an interview of Tom Brady, the quarterback for the New England Patriots, and when he was 28, so this is some years back, um, he had reached the pinnacle of football stardom. He had won three Super Bowls, 
Um, and in an interview, he was asked how it felt to just be on the top of the world. And this is what he said. He said a bunch of things, and then he said, God, life has got to be more than this. Won three Super Bowls. He is more famous than anybody else in sports at the time. And he says, God, this, life has got to be more than this. He said, I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. So the work that we do without relationships, right? And then he was pressed on, and what else is life cracked up to be then? If it's not this, what is it? And he said, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Friends, what's missing so often from us are relationships that matter. It's embracing this mission that God has for all of us, that he wants us to know that we're an influence on the people around us, to know that we're a blessing to the people around us. He wants you to help other people to know Jesus and to follow him. And so to show up for this mission with your presence, it means saying yes to spending time with others. Okay, at its most simple, it means saying yes to spending time with others. And when you long for that because of how God will use you, and you cannot know how God's going to use you yet, right? You might not know, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know. We'll talk about all that in the weeks to come. I just want you to get to a place where you want this for yourself. You want this for God so that you can honor him in this way by following and embracing this mission he's given you. And you'd want it for others. And there are people in our church, there are people in your life that really need you. And so showing up for mission means saying yes. Longing for it will get you ready to be a blessing. And so my encouragement to you would be to say yes to Sundays. Okay? Here's some things you can say yes to. You can say yes to Sundays. Right? Come to church on Sunday, not just for you, but for others. Right? We worship together. We learn together as a family. And connecting with others after the service is important. Right? Getting to know people. You can ask the question, you want to know how to have a discipleship relationship? It can be this simple. You get together after the service and you say, so what did you experience in worship today? What did you feel like God said to you? you know, what did you learn through the music, through the singing, through the praying, like, through the sermon? What did you learn? And then, so what are you going to try to do this week as a result of what you've experienced? Sometimes just having that conversation can have a radical shift in your life. Because so often, if you're like me, even me who preaches, so often I can leave Sunday and just think, oh man, the service went well. Oh, how was the service? The service was good. And it's kind of vague and ethereal. Like you had a good experience, which is very significant, right? That's not insignificant. It's not meaningless for you to come week in and week out and think, man, this is a good place. Like, good things happen when I'm here. I feel close to the Lord. I mean, that's all good. But when you have that conversation of what did you experience in worship? Um, what did God teach you? And then what are you going to do about it? It goes from being vague and general to all of a sudden now, like, there's something specific, right? There's something specific that can happen now as a result, which is the way that your faith grows, your relationship with God will grow. And so you want to say yes to Sundays. I'd encourage you also to say yes to a life group. Right, our life groups, these are our smaller groups where we get close enough to care. Um, sometimes it's hard, it's overwhelming in a big group when you don't know anybody. 
but our life groups are places where you can get to know a smaller group of men and women. Right? We come together and we discuss discipleship. Right? We talk about how to read the Bible together, how to, how to worship when we read, how to grow when we read the Bible. Um, some weeks we talk about our Sunday worship. And then together we try to reach out to the people that we know who need to love Jesus, who need to experience the good news. Right? When we do that together, uh, we get on mission uh, to, uh, to the people who don't know Jesus. And so we do this in our life groups. And so I'd encourage you all to say yes to a life group. Um, and you can see that as part of how you can embrace this mission to be in relationships so that your presence matters. And then I would say, I'd encourage you, so say yes to Sunday, say yes to life groups, and then say yes to personal discipleship. You know, so make sure that you've got someone if they're in your life group, that's great. Uh, if they're not in your life group, that's okay. But make sure there's someone in your life that you are intentionally talking about spiritual growth. Right? So that someone knows what's going on in your life. Um, this is, I mean, if you say yes to these things, um, and again, it doesn't mean that you have to spend all these hours, you have to creatively figure out, okay, what do I have available in my schedule? How do I think God wants me to implement this? Like Sundays are once a week. Life group is usually is once a week. Personal discipleship might be once a week, but it might not be. Maybe it's every other week. Maybe it's once a month, depending on how much time you have. But the key is you need to be intentional about it. You be intentional about being with people that can help you grow. Um, and then, again, some of you, you're Paul's without a Timothy. Some of you need to just invite someone to start doing this with them. Um, and you'll find, guess what? God's using you in their life to pour into them. So, longing gets you ready. Sadness shows you how good it is when you don't have it. Longing gets you ready. Our last point is that presence brings joy, which is a taste of heaven. Presence brings joy, which is a taste of heaven. This is the last part of this verse. Paul says, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Filled with joy. Paul knows. Right? Paul knows that if he and Timothy get any more time together, it will fill him with joy. You know what joy is? Um, joy is what you experience when your hopes come true. When the things that you long for come true, that's joy. When you begin to see the things that you want happening in your life, that's joy. Um, I've heard it explained by N.T. Wright, who's a New Testament scholar, and this guy is just a massive scholar, and he's exhaustive in wonderful ways. He can, yeah, he's just, he writes books that are, you know, like this thick. Um, and he said that when he was doing his initial study of Judaism in the first century and Christianity in the first century, he said there was a really stark contrast. He said if you were to study all of Judaism in the first century, around the time when Jesus showed up, he said there's one word that could define Judaism, and it's the word hope. It's the word hope. There was this unbelievable and, and like ubiquitous. It was everywhere. There was this sentiment of God was about to do something. 
God was on the verge of doing something, of bringing in all the promises that he had made in the Old Testament. In the first century, there was this sense that God was moving, that God was stirring, that something was about to happen before Jesus was born, okay? And, and that's hope. That's hope. They had this, 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 this expectation about the future, this expectation that God was going to renew and, and fulfill all the promises. He was going to bring them back from exile. He was going to overthrow the Romans. He was going to bring his spirit. He was going to bring his people back together. Like all these promises. And they had this amazing sense that it was going to happen soon. And he says, that is hope. That is hope that characterized first century Judaism. He says, but when you begin to then study first century Christianity, and you look at all of the writings of the New Testament, and you look at all of the ways that Jesus, and what he said, and then what he did, and then how the church responded to what he said and did. um, He says that the word to describe all of that is joy. The one word that characterized the early church was joy, because Everything that Israel was waiting for came true in Jesus. Everything that they were hoping for, that God would finally come, that God would be with us, Emmanuel from Isaiah, it actually happened, right? That God would take away the sins of his people and forgive them, it happened in Jesus. That God would unite his people together again, that happened in the church, In the book of Pentecost, when every tribe and tongue and people and nation gathered in as a worldwide family, showing what God was going to do forever, right? And so the Christians began to realize all of these promises in the Old Testament, they came true in Jesus, and that gave them joy. That gave them joy. When the promises come true, the feeling that you have is joy. And Paul knows, Paul knows that when he gets together with Timothy, he will be filled with joy because the promises of God, the promises that God makes to us, that he is with us, come true when Timothy is around. The promises of God, that God is working in us, that God loves us and he cares for us and he's helping us grow, those promises come true for Paul when he's with Timothy. Why? Because they talk. Because they seek God together, because they, they, they talk about real issues, they talk about their struggles, they talk about their, their, their highs and their lows, right? And when this happens, just by being present together and sharing, Paul knows that God's presence will be proven again. Paul will get to see that God is with Timothy, and he'll get to hear about how that is. He'll get to see the ways that Paul's with Timothy, and that will give him joy. That'll give him joy. How many of you have experienced this? When you spend time with someone, when you're present with someone else, and they share something with you, um, and you can give them a perspective from God that gives them comfort, and all of a sudden they realize, wow, God is with me. He hasn't abandoned me. Right? Have you ever had that experience? Either being on the giving end or the receiving end? I mean, when someone comes to this conviction that, wow, even though this is awful and difficult, even though I'm weeping, God is with me. That's joy. That's joy. I mean, even just this last week, 
Um, I talked to someone who was struggling with emotional adultery. They were down the road, hadn't let anybody in, never talked to anybody. Opened up to me, and I was able, through my presence with them, to give them understanding, to give them help, to give them wisdom. They left a different person. They left a different person. They had a measure of joy. Right? I could see God at work in their lives, and it gave me joy. I talked to people who were, were struggling this week with hurtful Christians from the past. Right? Ways the church has burned them. And my presence with them was able to help them distinguish between what the church does poorly and Jesus. I was able to help them understand that, yeah, you're right, Christians do awful things, but Jesus is different. And there was joy. There was joy because God shows up when we're present with others, when we're sharing together, when we're confessing our sins when we're encouraging each other. This is what works. I mean, our presence can bring people patience. Our presence with others can give them perspective. And this is a taste of heaven. When you're in the midst of something awful and all of a sudden you have patience, it comes from heaven. When you're struggling and confused and you get a new perspective that comes from God, man, that's heaven speaking in and you beginning to think the way God does. It's a taste of heaven. Sometimes our presence just tells people, I'm not alone. You know, you're not alone. Someone cares. And in that, you're telling them, you're convincing them, you're proving to them by your presence that God is also with them. And so, I just want to encourage you all to say yes to being present. Say yes to being present so that being apart would make you sad. So that being apart would make in you long for, for them again. And then to realize that if you say yes to this, your presence will bring joy both to you and to the person you're with. It is in this way that Jesus actually manifests his presence to us. I think sometimes more often than not, more often than not, Jesus wants to answer his people's prayers of need for comfort and, and solace through the lives of other people. Because Jesus is with us, but he can't hug us. For those of you who are here and you're not Christians, um, I'm so glad that you're here exploring. I'm hoping that your experience with us creates this distinction between maybe bad experiences in the past and who Jesus might be. Um, I'd invite you to say yes to relationships in our church and see if you don't get to feel the presence of God from us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for this relationship that Paul had with Timothy, um, 
for the honesty and the rawness of their emotions. We thank you, God, for using them um, as examples to us of what's possible. And Jesus, I pray that now you would look into each one of our into each one of our faces and encourage us to say yes. Jesus, I see you standing here telling us that you have a plan for us, that you want to use us to be a blessing to others. And so Jesus, we say yes. We say yes to you. We say yes to this mission. And we pray that you would help us to see what it will look like for us to be present with others. Lord, thank you that you're going to show us in the weeks to come what to do when we're present. But for now, Lord, we pray that you would just help us to long for it and to pursue it as we just ask people how they're doing with you, what they've learned, and what are they going to do about what they've learned. And we'll give you the glory. Thank you that we can be part of your mission to make disciples. Show us how to do that this week. In Jesus' name, amen.